0: Hi, I'm Cole.
1: And I'm Lily.
0: And this is the Culture Bites Back podcast.
1: Episode 2, Choose Your Own Adventure.
0: Today we wanted to spend our time talking about choice in games. Choice seems to be one of those things that everyone agrees is a, is a good aspect of game design. The best designs present players with lots of options. But why, why do we associate choice with good design? Um, could the opposite be the case?
1: And um, a correlating question might be what constitutes choice, right? Can we still have a choice in a game even if the outcome is already predetermined? Does that choice matter?
0: Right. So think about, for instance, an MMO, like a classic multiplayer RPG, at the beginning of the game, you get to choose your race and class and gender, what kind of hair you want, etc. The choice of class and even of race determine a lot about how you're going to experience that game. But most of the cosmetic changes don't.
1: But there are choices that seem to walk that line between cosmetic and moral. So for instance, the choice to engage in a specific type of romantic relationship in A video game, or the choice to play a female character versus a male character, or the choice to play a specific race, right? Don't those all carry certain cultural or or social intonations?
0: They would, but there are no consequences to those choices. I mean, in most games, it doesn't matter what gender you choose to be. Like, the game is the same. If we're talking about choice in games, we should also be talking about consequences in games. And it seems rare that a game is able to deliver consequences that are worthy of the choices that it wants to present.
1: Bringing in consequences is definitely relevant. This past weekend, I read a Kill Screen article um, about one of the writers of 80 Days. And the writer was just discussing the current tendency to constantly play the hero or to create a game that's about the hero. Um, And and while power fantasies are a totally separate topic, one of the things that this interview touched on is the idea that NPCs should be seen as participants in the world, uh, more so than than static objects that you make decisions on. One of the examples that the writer brings up is from Dragon Age 2. And it's just about an NPC whose decision is set no matter what you do. But within the context of this particular game, this inability to change the NPC's course is part of what makes the NPC more of a person or more of a responsive figure in the environment than, than you would typically find, uh, rather than someone who blindly follows the player's lead. And so the idea that Choices should have consequences beyond the scope of the individual um, is, is definitely a, a salient one. My question to you would be, do, do you think that particular choice or your lack of control over the NPC's choice, is that a good type of choice or is that a bad type of choice in terms of game design?
0: I think it's a good thing that Dragon Age is offering you different ways of interacting with its NPCs. But I think it also shows pretty clearly the limitations of the game that they want to make that regardless of those choices, you get stuck on the same path. Now, that isn't to say that the experience of playing Dragon Age is going to be the same no matter which path you choose. It's just that the the different possibilities of those choices get cut by what the game wants to give you.
1: I'm not sure I would agree that possibilities in pathing – determine the value of a choice. I mean, sometimes those components matter, but there are plenty of ways where a limited path can still give choice impact.
0: Can you think of a game that would do that?
1: I can think of a game that I don't necessarily consider a great game, but the choices in that game clearly matter, and that would be The Sims where every single one of your choices determines the actual environment of the game, the personalities of the, the, the sims, the, the people who occupy the town. And in return, those sims then continue on their own. Right? So sometimes their choices that they make without your input are not the choices that you would have wanted them to make. So it both gives you power over that landscape and then takes it away.
0: Why don't you think The Sims is a good game?
1: I mean, I'm obsessed with micromanaging games. I go through phases, and I'm sure it's some kind of procrastination or stress reduction. But I go through phases where I will just play these types of games for hours and days on end. But they're the same at the root of it. And it's just about having you create this world where you have almost full control over everything. And even when you don't have full control when the Sims enact their own lives, they're still your creations, right? And so your anger that or frustration that they didn't choose the path that you set for them is because you feel like you own them.
0: Right. I mean and I so I I think that's one of the reasons why The Sims is kind of a brilliant game. My problem with The Sims is not totally dissimilar from my problem with Dragon Age which is that the cone of possibilities still restricts players from certain kinds of narratives, right? So in The Sims, you can't, you, you, you can't have an underwater mortgage, right? You can't find yourself like kicked out on the street and homeless. And so the, it's kind of like stuck in a suburban fantasy. I mean it's almost parodic. I wonder if they remove some of those walls – if the game would be capable of, of producing a lot more interesting narratives, I mean, and this is something that we've talked about before, for me, a choice that has consequences that will reverberate through play; those are the most interesting kind of choices. And some of those choices are going to cause players to spiral into cycles of failure. So I was thinking about um, XCOM, and in the the remake of the classic game that came out just a couple years ago. Titled the same thing, or I think it's XCOM Enemy Unknown. In that game, you can play in an Iron Man mode, where if you make a choice uh, that leads to someone getting killed, you only have one save file. You'll never get them back. And what happened, and I've read a couple of interviews on this, is the players who played Iron Mode would usually get to a certain threshold where the game was so hard that they couldn't rescue their positions, and rather than like see that spiral in like, through the end of their own collapse, they just stop playing. They just start a new game. They maybe switch off Iron Man mode. And to me, a, a good game would still be telling interesting stories in the spiral of that collapse. Like, to me, that's the most fascinating part of the game.
1: Wait, just to clarify, you're saying that had that game involved better choices, even the collapse would have been compelling to players, so they wouldn't want to start a new game.
0: Right. I mean... If we're thinking about games as things that are able to generate narratives, narratives of loss and failure are just as interesting as narratives of success. In fact, if you think about like the great works of literature and the great works of film, these are works that are oftentimes about loss, which is not something that one gets with games, which are pretty triumphalist.
1: I'm not saying that I believe the games succeed in doing this. But isn't there, like, a recent influx of games, for instance, The Last of Us, um, and there are games that are just very story-based, where your choices determine who joins your party, who in your party dies, right? Um, I think The Walking Dead and Game of Thrones have these story-based games. And is that not kind of catering to the sense of loss, and that only through a sense of loss can we be emotionally invested in an experience? To me not saying it's true of these games but in general that seems like a cheap way of gaining an audience that you know the emotional ties can only come from loss
0: okay sure but for i, I want to just parse out a couple things here because the classic like your mentor dies or like your best friend dies trope in a game that doesn't mean that the game's not triumphalist right because you overcome and then you beat the boss at the end
1: but that also doesn't mean that you didn't have moments of ing- Of tragedy or moments of failure up until that point are you saying that it's not about the moments in between but the final arc from beginning to end that determines whether it's a loss or a win
0: when games think about something like the the fire emblem series the fire emblem series when you lose a character they're gone and you can one of the interesting things about the game is that you're pretty resilient you can keep playing and oftentimes you can still win the game and with that kind of attrition. But because every single character has a face and a backstory, um, th- those losses can hit you pretty hard. But like ultimately this is a game about going, finding the last boss and beating the last boss. And if there are losses along the way, like you might have been emotionally attached to those losses. But overall you were getting stronger, you were fighting bigger and scarier things and then eventually you won.
1: But that's totally different from the conversation about the quality of choices. Just because the narrative arc is about encouraging a power fantasy, that doesn't mean that the choices in between aren't also meaningful. Are you saying that the, the very idea that you still end up the hero who triumphs over all odds, that that negates any meaning or any long-term meaning in the choices in between?
0: Yes, I think I am. I think games, the obsession in games with heroes and the, that kind of epic storytelling – is circumscribing a whole, like, range of narrative production.
1: Would you consider these new emotional survival horror games hero narratives in the end?
0: I haven't. I'm trying to think because I played, like, Amnesia.
1: I guess I'm still thinking of The Last of Us.
0: Yeah, I mean, The, the Last of Us is tricky um, just because of how how the end of it kind of um, unspools. I feel like the, I think ultimately it is right. I mean, the Last of Us is, I think, a, like a redemptive work, um, but I also think that the road is a redemptive work. Um, so so I,
1: does that redemptive arc then mean that it's still not as impactful?
0: No, it's just look. The The, the Last of Us is an is an incredibly impactful game. Um, I the, my my problem is not so much with The Last of Us. Uh, it's it's with the fact that so like such a big piece of the gaming pie are those kinds of redemptive arcs. What I'm suggesting is that the last of us relies in part on a lot of the classic, like tropes of the hero narrative, redemption, growth, power, all those things. And those are that's a fine story. but I think, as designers and players and critics, We should ask ourselves if we want 99% of games to be using that one sort of narrative arc. Because I think that there's a lot of interesting storytelling that can go on outside of that. So think about, for instance, Dwarf Fortress. In Dwarf Fortress, you're going to lose. The game makes, uh, makes no attempt to hide the fact that you're going to lose. And the mantra of the game is that losing is fun. And what they mean when they say losing is fun is that losing is going to produce a story as rich and as interesting as a narrative arc where you end up like king of the dwarven world. But that story about how the hippos broke into your sewer system and you found yourself flooded and the little families were trying to rescue themselves as they were like fleeing the smoldering ruins of your fortress, like that story is actually more interesting or as interesting as a story where they end up being kings of the world?
1: At this point, I see two different paths. There's the dimension of choice that has more to do with narrative scope, like where the story potentially could go, versus the dimension of choice that has to do with the affective capabilities of that choice right, on the player they're not necessarily the same thing. You could be affected by a choice throughout the entire game even if the outcome of that game is predetermined or limited. Right, And just because a game has a wide variety of potential outcomes that doesn't necessarily make it any more effective at helping a player understand something about themselves or the world or what have you.
0: Players are welcome to cherry-pick, like, a certain emotion and let that, or not emotion, but a certain moment in a game and let that determine the wider scope of the game, right? Like, you can watch Wally and only really think about the first half an hour of the movie and forget that the second half of the movie is terrible.
1: We're not going to get into that argument right now, but just know that I disagree.
0: It's, it's, a, it's a terrible ending of an otherwise good Oh,
1: movie. hush. Move on.
0: Okay, so, again, without Wally. But I think Wally is a good example because it's kind of exactly what I'm talking about, right? Like a movie, a game, a book—they can have a, they can have a moment that makes them really interesting, and a moment that a reader might dwell on. But why not try to do something bigger, or more different, or more challenging?
1: Are you hoping for the boundaries of game design to be pushed, or are you hoping that a player will be challenged and somehow irrevocably changed? by the experience of choice?
0: This to me is a question about design.
1: You discounted growth in a narrative arc earlier when you were talking about choice, right? Growth, redemption. But isn't growth the whole point of experiencing art?
0: I I wouldn't wholly disagree with that, but I I would clarify that I don't want to conflate the work of art with the experience of viewing the art, right? Like you can go view a painting that devastates you, and feel that you learn something about yourself and your fellow human by looking at it. But the actual work of art is
1: devastating. I want to point us back to games that give players choices, but the outcome is already predetermined. However, that choice is still significant. right? The frustration of the player at not getting the outcome they wanted deliberately, that, that is in and of itself a type of narrative, regardless of whether the possibilities of that choice were limited.
0: So I'm not saying they're not significant. I just think they could be more significant. So this is an issue of degree, not kind. When you're reacting with Isabel in Dragon Age too, like what if your choice like what if your choices that determine her role in your life, what if they altered the way the rest of the story went? Doesn't that seem like a good thing? Even Does, if it leads you away from like a climactic fantasy battle at the end?
1: Well, sure. It seems like a good thing, but doesn't that also demand a type of design I'm not sure is possible yet?
0: I mean I, I, I actually – I think that not only is the design possible but there are plenty of designs doing it. So there's a game from the late 90s called The King of Dragon Pass and it's essentially a twine game. I mean you're looking at a watercolor and there's a little paragraph to read and then you make a choice. And one of the interesting things about that game Is the choices that you make are very non obvious and will continue to reverberate and kind of sculpt the rest of the story that gets told. And what's interesting too about that game is if you find yourself like losing, when I say losing, I really just mean like your capacity is a, in that game you play kind of like a Norse style clan, your capacities in the game change. Like your tribe is shrinking, your people are starving, like things are bad. It's really compelling. Because you're attached to the characters, you're attached to the choices you make and it's a rare game that when I find myself getting in what we might consider like a losing spiral, you play it through to the end because it's an interesting story. And that game was released almost 20 years ago. So this is definitely something games can do. I just think there's an interest especially at the level of like a AAA title of using the game to produce a certain kind of cinematic experience
1: but isn't your paradigm still one of power? That the very fact that your choices have all of these consequences, that they are always significant, that gives the player a consistent sense of power, right? Whereas choices that maybe lead you to a wall, a metaphorical wall, um, emphasize the lack of power the player has over the entire environment. You're asking for every choice to be significant. But by doing that, you're giving the player more power.
0: That's a really good point. I don't mean this as like a critical manifesto. I mean I, I don't. I, I just it's, – it's an area that like I wish folks would explore. You're right though. Like if I – if where you – know, to use the example of, of, of The Sims or something, if where you place the chair determines whether or not you get the job in The Sims and every like little choice in the layout of your house is hugely impactful – that is a kind of power fantasy. But there's a power fantasy happening in the standard game design anyway, which is that, like, you are going to save the world. The, the, the stakes are always, like, global, if not, like, universal. And, I, I mean, ideally, like, I actually think that, like, Skyrim would be more interesting if a lot of the big plot arcs in Skyrim were resolving without you. And if you participate in them or di- didn't participate in them, That was entirely kind of up to you and maybe up to the circumstance that your your player would find themselves in. So I agree like it is a a power fantasy.
1: So where do you put the choose-your-own-adventure novel within this framework where plenty of the novel goes on without you, right? But you also make choices and the choices are limited but there's a lot of them. So like how does that compare to your – critique of video game choices.
0: Yeah, that I mean I think maybe that's like the essential question. Is a choose your own adventure novel more high tech than a video game? Because I think that a lot of them have a greater narrative range than most video games.
1: But but why is it?
0: Because the narrative range that is possible with a choose your own adventure seems wider.
1: What do you mean by narrative range?
0: I mean the number the, the number and quality Right? So, like, it's not a bunch of different, like, near. So, okay, think about uh, Chrono Trigger. So, Chrono Trigger, classic Super Nintendo RPG, maybe, like, one of the best, certainly one of the best RPGs from the 16 bit era, like, maybe of all time. And Chrono Trigger has a bunch of different endings. But if you think about, like, what actually happens in those endings, they're not that different. Uh, there are little things that get adjusted. A couple of them are big. But if you look at a Choose Your Own Adventure novel, they're probably about the same number of endings, maybe 15 or 20 endings. And those, if you th- look at what's happening and how different the endings are from each other, I think the Choose Your Own Adventure might have more range than even something like Chrono Trigger, which is at the high end of an RPG. I mean, Final Fantasy VI really only has like one ending.
1: All right. But this is the problem I see with your critique. So when I read Choose Your Own Adventure novels as a kid, and I haven't done it really since – I don't know, since I was 11. I was so involved in the mechanics, right, the mechanic of choice, the mechanic of the range of choices, that the narrative itself no longer mattered to me. So I dog-eared pages, I marked pages that had these different choice branches, and I would go back to them. And my basic goal was to map out every single potential outcome in the order that they could have happened, right, like drawing a tree. And so My involvement in the game, I called it a game, my involvement in the text was very much detached.
0: If if I'm approaching a video game and just using walkthroughs, obviously my investment in the game is going to be
1: But how am I using walkthroughs?
0: Walkthroughs were a bad example. A better example would be having like 10 save files and just mapping out the game that way. But my argument is that, look, I could have a ton of different save files in a game of XCOM or if I'm trying to beat like a hard StarCraft mission. I think when I was beating the Hammer Falls, I had like 10, which is, that's the last mission in StarCraft 1. But that, that mission ends the same way. Like, no matter how, like eventually I'll, I'll optimize my way to a victory. Whereas, in a Choose Your Own Adventure novel, you can do that same kind of optimization. But you're optimizing because you want to get a certain kind of plot line. Right? Now, there are other plot lines. And there isn't one that wins. There's just a bunch of different plot lines. And in, in, if I'm optimizing my playthrough in a StarCraft mission, I'm trying to get to victory. And if I'm optimizing my read-through, choose your adventure, I'm trying to get through my preconception of what I think the best plotline line is.
1: And you think the second, the latter choice is?
0: Way more interesting. Dramatically more interesting. Because the answer of what the best ending is for StarCraft has already been answered for me. There is a way to beat the game. But the answer of which ending in a Choose Your adventure novel is the best, that isn't being, that's not being answered for me. And that's a more interesting question. So in that in that respect, you know, if you think about choices that are being presented like in games, if I'm playing Mario, like just regular Super Mario Brothers, at the end of that second level, I can go to the different portals and I can like quickly skip to the end of Super Mario Brothers. And that's one way of – Playing Super Mario Brothers, I can play through all the levels in order. I can use the various other portals. So there might be, you know, a hundred different ways of playing Super Mario Brothers, but ultimately, I think all of those different arcs are pretty similar. It's easier for me to imagine a choose your own adventure novel that was more ambitious in its narrative representation than like most classic video games that alter like <clears throat> that offer several different ways of encountering the, the narratives that they want to
1: tell. I totally agree with that. I think it's hard for designers to think about why choices are important or in what ways these specific choices are important to this specific narrative. I'm thinking that the only game where I felt like the variety of choices actually also intersected with the emotional resonance of those choices is Aisle. So Aisle is a text-based game. Um, It gives you a narrative. And you just type in one response, and that response both officially begins the narrative but also ends it, right? Because then the interface returns the ending to you based off of that one response. And there are, what, there's like a hundred different responses?
0: Yeah, something like that. I don't I, know. I
1: stopped at like 20 something.
0: I have no idea if I completed that game.
1: Right. And, and completing it isn't really the point. Um, and, and that's a game that I thought was interesting because generally when faced with a choose your own adventure game or novel, completionism is my goal, to look at every potential outcome. But this game doesn't give you the the array, so you have no idea. The array that it, you do get in return is so wide and different that it's it's interesting, right? That I'm not even looking to see all the possibilities. I'm just looking to see how my, I'm affected by that response. But when you're talking about choices and possibilities in the landscape of design, I think that there are plenty of people who would agree with you, but who would forget that prioritizing possibilities tends to erase the actual like meaning of the choices for the player, regardless of maybe how ripple effecty the actual choices are right and Isle is the only one where i feel like the person who wrote it both considered how those choices are meant to impact the player and how those choices broaden what it means to have narrative based on choice
0: when i'm thinking about games that use choice this way i'd certainly put Isle in that list and i would add it to like dwarf fortress king of dragon pass some games played on iron man mode i think can be really interesting what Sam Barlow does in Isle, it seems to me that other games could be pursuing that direction. But instead in our current landscape, Isle is like – as you said, like kind of a curious like one-off. Like why isn't there – why aren't there lots of aisles? Why isn't there a first-person Aisle?
1: I think your actual – I mean the ideal aesthetic you just gave earlier is partly Why? You're prioritizing both the number of choices we can have, the number of potential outcomes for those choices, and then finally how, how they affect the overall arc. But I, I think looking at numbers is what makes it an unproductive way to go. I'd rather have two choices, an entire game, and both of those choices you know, have a significant um, impact on the way I'm supposed to understand the arc of the game than like 20 choices. All of them that have, you know, a lot of consequences that do matter but, but don't really force me to look at the game in a different way.
0: That's interesting because this is actually one place where I feel like quantity is really important. To me, a game that would be 40 hours long that would only present like two choices, two real choices to its players is like in, it's inefficient
1: I think we can both agree that choices are important in video games. But at the moment, the quality and the scope are lackluster. And what we both want is a game that stays with us, that teaches us, that immerses us in the same way books and films can immerse us without these same choices.